Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We are back on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex there. Ben, it's been a long time, it feels like, since we, we've last talk, talked in a, a podcast setting. I mean, I know it was a little bit after the holiday break, getting ready for the Wake Forest-Virginia Tech game the last time we spoke. But gosh, it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah, it has been, obviously, from the Boots on the Ground crew. We hope you all had a very happy holiday season, a happy new year to everybody. And we've got some fun basketball games to discuss here and another very fun one to prepare for this coming Saturday. So let's get into it. Yeah, it's the first time that Wake Forest has started 2-0 in the ACC in quite a long time. I believe the 2008-2009 season was the last time that Wake Forest started 2-0 in conference, which is just almost hard to believe, but probably a little bit easier to believe for the folks who have been around Wake Forest a little bit longer through the dark days. And also Wake Forest with an eight-game winning streak, one of the longest in the land right now in active winning streaks. So Wake Forest starting to get their credit a little bit around the country. I mean, a lot of talk. Just last night I was watching ACC basketball games, Ben, and you have Debbie Antonelli and, and Anish Shroff talking about Wake Forest. Anish Shroff saying that he thinks Wake is playing like a Sweet 16 team right now. Seth Greenberg with ESPN as well saying that, you know, he thinks Wake Forest has the best starting lineup, if, you know, one of the best, if not the best starting five in the ACC. Those are not the, the kind of things that you're used to hearing when you're talking about the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. But at this point, you know, you win eight games in a row, you're 2-0 in the ACC, doing it the way that Wake has done it as hard as it is to almost wrap your mind around it, it feels like it's kind of deserved. I agree with you Two, you know, two quality wins right in a row, especially to start out conference play. I think, um, you know, Wake receives field of 68's team of the night for their win against um, Boston college just the other day. They also did a really nice segment about wake on their podcast. Definitely worth a listen. Those guys are fantastic. I think, um, but yeah, you know, eight in a row, taking care of business during that home stretch, which is exactly what the doctor ordered for this Wake Forest team. You beat Rutgers, you beat Florida, and you start out with a really strong win against Virginia Tech at home. And then, you know, go on the road and beat who I think is a very talented, very well-coached, very good Boston College team. I've said it a lot, and Ben, you probably more than anybody else knows how much I care about how teams start games. Like all the time, I almost ad nauseum, especially in regards to Wake Forest, not even just in basketball. I'm talking about throwing the first punch, striking first. I think it's so critical in games. And I, I, I think it perhaps could not be more critical than in a sport like basketball. And for the first time, it feels like in, in quite some time, except maybe against Rutgers, Wake comes out and does it full stop against Virginia Tech. I mean, you look at, at those first few minutes, it is right from the get-go a a 14-4 run in the first six minutes against a team like Virginia Tech we talked up that team a lot talking about Lynn Kidd and that that really good guard duo of Sean Padula and Hunter Couture I mean I thought this was going to be a really tightly contested game back and forth we talked about that in our last podcast and Wake comes out and just stuns them bang right from the start you know the starting with the first four points, then going on another 4-0 mini run and then a 6-0 run. Those little mini runs create that 14-4 start. And right from the get-go, you feel like the, the complexion of the game is on there on the table that Wake Forest wasn't here to mess around. And, and lo and behold, something like that, you know, you have to hold it over 40 minutes. But in the second half, Wake Forest and Virginia Tech basically had even scoring. So it just shows how critical it was for Wake to come out and stun the Hokies because it it put that game kind of away from the start. And even though Virginia Tech was holding tight later in the game, what Wake Forest did in the first 20 minutes made it so that it didn't even matter. Yeah, you know, you and I have beat that drum over and over and over again that 
when conference play starts, sort of the time has run out for slow starts. You know, Wake started slow against Presbyterian, started slow against NJIT. A couple other games didn't have their best stuff in the first half. Against Virginia Tech, they showed you exactly how dangerous they can be when they start off a game hot with high energy, get the ball to their playmakers, and start scoring the way they can on offense early on. Because you're right, in the second half, Wake didn't have a particularly good shooting half. Virginia Tech played them pretty even. By that point, Wake was in cruise control because they just absolutely dominated the first half. And then, you know, you saw really what this team could do. Very balanced scoring attack in that game. All five starters and double figures. You know, the usual suspects, as our friend Connor O'Neill likes to call them. Uh, plus, Efton Reed having a strong game. Um, five for nine for 13 points. So it was just, it was a really, truly enjoyable basketball game to watch if you were a Wake Forest fan. That was a team coming out and showing, hey, we're not here to mess around. You're right. You and I both did predict this one as a close affair. I think you had, what, Wake in a nine-point victory, and I maybe picked him by five. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that Steve Forbes and the gang had other ideas. It was it was very fun to watch. Wake sort of just kind of executed the hell out of Georgia Tech and not Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, kind of just ground them into the pavement. You know, Wake was... Wake was ready to go. They were, they had this, they were up, they were responded well to the long break. They, they looked like they had been rested. They were high energy, you know, owned the rebounding battle, which I thought was really good to see, took care of the ball for the most part. It was, it was just a a fantastic way to start conference play. And I think it, it really got the ball rolling for them to go on the road and take care of business against Boston college, which I know we're about to talk about. Yeah. Just before we get into Boston college, just a few things that I'd love to touch on, Ben, you talked about, the usual suspects first off and actually funny enough both of them uh two guys that that mark few probably wishes he had right now hunter salas and and, you know i'm I'm piggybacking a little bit on the boston college game which is supposedly in the future from this point we're talking about right now but hunter salas has been absolutely unbelievable i mean he is just a game changer for Wake Forest. 20 points against Virginia Tech, 8 of 14 from the field, meaning he's shooting really well. I mean, he had nine rebounds against Virginia Tech to go along with that, so almost pulling himself a double-double there. It, it's just the entire performance right now for Hunter Salas. But he's, he's got that, you talk about all the time, especially with Poopy Miller, that Hunter Salas has that bag, that full bag of kind of tricks. I mean, he, he drives to the hoop, he draws fouls, he can put up the jumper, the jump stop. He can shoot threes. I mean, he can dunk. He plays pretty solid defense. He can rebound. I mean, what? it's another transformational guard for Steve Forbes out of the transfer portal. And I think Virginia Tech was just another game that emphasized how much Hunter Salas means to this team and how much he will mean down the stretch for Wake Forest based on probably what you now are starting to think about, what might, you know, what might Wake Forest's future be a lot of it, I think, stands on on the performance of Hunter Salas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's just been such a fantastic addition to this team. Fits the culture very well. Is playing with a ton of confidence. You know, he he goes out there day in and day out, and you just watch him, and you think that this is a guy you have to have on the floor no matter what. And he does so many things well, even when he's not necessarily scoring at a high clip, but he is scoring at a high clip right now. So, you know, he looks like a really premier guard in this conference. One other thing I wanted to touch on uh, in Wake's effort against Virginia Tech was how well I thought their big men played on defense. You know, we talked a lot before this game about how excellent of a player Lynn Kidd is. He's a fantastic player. And he he didn't, you know, it was always known before this game that he was going to get his. You know, he finished the game 7 of 15 for 14 points, but he didn't dominate Wake Forest the way that he has some other teams. He didn't have as a, as efficient a performance as he has against other teams. He's one of the highest true, sh- true shooting percentages in the country. Going into that game, it was above 75%, which was top five in the country in Ken Palm. And I thought Efton Reed responded very well to the physicality. And I thought Zach Keller off the bench came in and gave some really, really good minutes against Lynn Kidd. And so he was never really able to establish that rhythm. And the guards didn't have as much success in feeding him the ball inside, which is how this Virginia Tech team has won some of their games. So, I thought the game plan was fantastic by Steve Forbes and co. You know, they stood up to the test that they knew Virginia Tech was going to offer. And then they played their brand of basketball on the offensive end. Evenly balanced scoring, getting to the foul line, knocking down free throws and rebounding the ball the way that they know they can rebound the ball. So, you know, we've touched on it again. This Wake Forest offense is dangerous and sort of their ability to 
win and dominate against these quality teams is dependent upon their ability to consistently defend, to consistently rebound, to eliminate turnovers, and to eliminate extra possessions for other teams. And they checked every single box against Virginia Tech. They totally did. You talked about the big men. First off, as you said, cheers to Zach Keller. I have really started to hop on the Zach Keller train. I think he is a huge piece of this Wake Forest lineup. You talked about the Efton Reed defensive effect, which I thought was huge against Lynn Kidd. Also thought it was really nice to see Efton get back into the swing of things offensively, five and nine from the field, drained a three, which people had been saying he could do, and he did it. So really good to see Efton get back into that offensive rhythm, the eight rebounds, absolutely. And then just a few more statistics quickly, which you kind of touched on, Ben. The free throw, free throw shooting is, again, proving to be a huge thing for Wake Forest. 19 to 21 from the charity stripe, 90.5% is exceptional. And I think in close games, and it kind of proves itself against Boston College where the Eagles didn't shoot well from the free throw line, free throw shooting is really, really big. And Wake Forest is a very, very good free throw shooting team. So I think that is just massive if they can keep that going. The rebounding has been big as well. Getting 11 offensive rebounds for Wake Forest. If you told me that a few months ago, I would have probably, I don't know, my jaw would have hit the floor or something, um, that their rebounding has improved this well. And I think some of that is the Efton factor, but I think it's an entire team kind of thing coming together and coalescing for that. So I think that's huge. And then the seven turnovers. Wake Forest with only seven turnovers. They had nine steals, more steals than they had turnovers, and they forced 19 Virginia Tech turnovers. I mean, that disparity from Wake turnovers to Virginia Tech turnovers is absolutely nuts to me. So just touching on those few things, I I mean, all around, uh, you couldn't start the ACC slate any better for Wake Forest to come out and, and, as I've said, absolutely punch Virginia Tech in the mouth, knock them out, and never really make that a ball game to win by 23 against Virginia Tech to open up the ACC play couldn't have really gone any better for Steve Forbes and his Demon Deacons team. Now, the next game, uh, not I was going to say a little bit closer, a whole lot closer for Wake Forest. I mean, it's the break. So it was a relatively empty Conti forum on Tuesday. I was up there. Um, I mean, there were probably just as many, if not more, Wake Forest fans in that place in Boston College uh, on Tuesday night. So that was interesting to see. But, I mean, it was a cold night, a slow evening, and you're going into an opposing gym for the first time in the ACC conference schedule after playing at home what felt like for a million years. And so I, I think Wake Forest, a lot of it, and Ben, I'd love your, you know, kind of that breakdown, but weathering the storm for a little while is I think a term you used and kind of rolling with the punches, finding a way to stay in the game and then striking when the iron was hot coming out of halftime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I anticipated before this game, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to preview this one necessarily on the pod just because of the holiday break and whatnot. But my, my instinct for this was that, you know, it's first conference road game. This Boston college team is a lot better, a lot more skilled than some other Boston College teams Wake has faced in the past. And I I anticipated that it would be a little bit of, you know, not so smooth sailing to start the game off. But I, I thought that as long as Wake managed it, they would have a very, very good chance to win this game. And that is exactly what happened. I, I believe I did use the term weathering the storm on Twitter. I think that's exactly what happened. So just comparing first and second half statistics here, Wake goes 44.8% from the field. from three in the first half, not bad marks at all. You know, those are solid shooting percentages, especially from behind the three point line. The problem was they had seven turnovers in the first half. So struggling to take care of the ball, struggling to find that consistency on offense, which is what allows them to be so effective and so difficult to prepare for in the second half, 62.1% from the field, 55.6% from three, only three turnovers. So this wake team has showed, you know, the ability again that they've excelled at so far this year of going into that halftime locker room, Steve Forbes and staff identifying exactly what the problems are saying, Hey guys, just take a deep breath. I thought it was huge for wake to only to be able to cut that lead or cut that deficit down to four at halftime after trailing by as many as 10. I thought that was massive. And then they came out in the second half and I thought looked much better defensively, much better offensively. You know, Boston college shot nearly 50% from the field in the first half, 48.4%, and then 42.9% from three. In the second half, 35.3%, both from the field and from three. 
So that was thought they they did a better job of forcing Boston College into longer possessions, into making them to you know I didn't think Quinton Post had as successful of a second half as he did his first half. Um, Quinton Post is a fantastic player. He played a very good game, but even so, Wake made those adjustments they needed to make. Went up by as many as ten, and then withstood withstood a very you know late surge from Boston College to to come out with the win. You know you had guys all over the floor making making big time plays there. So you know a very important response from the Deeks at halftime to go get the win on the road. A couple thoughts on that. So you talked about adjustments. I had this point circled in my mind as well. Getting from being down by 10 with 4.51 left in the first half to getting that within four made that feel like a much more realistic comeback for Wake Forest, especially we both have said before the trademark Steve Forbes halftime speeches or the trademark halftime post-halftime run. I mean, it, it, it happened. Wake gets it within four and then comes out in the second half, storms with an 8-0 run to retake the lead. It almost felt like it was a prophecy when Wake got it within four after being down by 10. So it's that response from Wake, which is huge, and, and that adjust, those are halftime adjustments. And the first thing I thought about, Ben, when I thought about the halftime adjustments was how Wake dealt with, as you said, Quinton Post. In the first half, Post went for 14 points, five of eight shooting, and he had a, a three-pointer because he's just, I mean, he's a magician out there. Quentin Post is really, really good and really frustrating for a team to play against. And something I noticed at halftime, I, the, where press row was, you could see kind of down the, the Wake Forest tunnel. And when Efton Reed came out of the, the halftime locker room, he just had that kind of look on his face where he's like, this is this is not going to stay the same as it was in in the first half and true true to the word everything changed in the second half so only six points for Quentin Post three of them coming from the uh from the free throw line his lone made shot of the second half came from behind the arc so he missed he went 0 for 4 from the field other than that made three pointer so Efton Reed completely handled him, bodied him in the second half after he was really, really effective in the first. And so that completely changed the complexion of the offense for Boston College to take their very, very best player, Quinn Post, essentially out of the ball game and force them to find offense elsewhere, probably contributed heavily to that 35% field goal for, uh, percentage in the second half was because Efton was just basically taking their their best player out of the uh out of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, Quinton Post started off that game. That was when I thought Wake might be in trouble with this one is when early on in the game Quinton Post was getting essentially whatever he wanted inside. Boston College was having a lot of success feeding it to him in the post. He had a couple threes. First of all, just shout out to Quinton Post. What outstanding development he has shown over the past season or so. Turned into a real, you know, all-conference caliber player. But then yeah, Efton Reed showed up in this game with a monster performance five of especially you know there was a period of about four to five minutes in the second half where i thought efton reed put on an absolute master class yeah, off he was nuts he was unbelievable just went crazy brought this game home for wake forest in a lot of ways i think he finished with you know five nine from the field 13 points and 14 massive rebounds including 13 yep. on defense so that is you know him preventing <laughs> extra possessions for boston college left and right really responded well to Quentin Post's physicality, I thought, matched up very well with him, especially in the second half. Made those halftime adjust adjustments, as we said. And then, you know, this was a game where Wake had to survive a couple of, you know, two to three minute periods where they didn't have a field goal on offense, where they didn't have their best stuff. But they, you know, dug their heels in on the road. You, you made the point that it maybe wasn't necessarily a full Conti forum, but, you know, even so, you're still on the road. You're still in an uncomfortable environment playing away from home were able to survive the periods and win win that game in sort of an ugly way at times. You know, they found a way to get the job done, even when it wasn't always pretty. Offensively, for Wake Forest, by the numbers, it was very pretty in the second half, not always so in the first half. So I think it says a lot about this team. And we can go into maybe some more, some of the individual performances here in a second, but it says, you know, a lot about this team that they were able to respond to early adversity and go get this win on the road. You had Cam Hildreth, you know, struggled with ball security a couple times, you know, at points, five turnovers. But even so, seven of 10 from the field, three of four from three, 18 points. It was a plus four, even with all those turnovers. And then had that crucial steal and score right at the end to sort of put the game on ice for the Demon Deacons. Boopy Miller was fantastic. 17 points, 
seven of nine from the field, seven assists in just over 23 minutes of gameplay because he struggled with foul trouble almost the whole night. So that's even more adversity. This Wake Forest team has struggled with foul, foul trouble in a lot of big games this year. I know that's something that, you know, this is where a guy like Parker Fredrickson comes in. I thought Parker played a very good game as well, but, you know, just responding to when things don't go as scripted because there were moments of this game that were not, you know, that didn't go according to the script for Wake Forest. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. I got to give you credit, Ben. We, we talk about this off air a lot that, that sometimes Ben Conroy and I share the same brain. Uh, ben probably just hit the next three to four talking points that were in my head down to a T listed down, like one, two, three, four. Just knocked them all out. So I'm, I'm going to give credit to Ben on that one. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Um, first in the fouls, uh, yeah, Wake Forest got into foul trouble. I think a lot of that was phantom foul calling. I mean, Steve Forbes looked exasperated in the first half with some of the calls from from the refs. And, and, and some of those I don't really blame him on. Just how <laughs> some of them were questionable. I'll, I'll put it that Agreed. way. Agreed. And I, and I think in the second half, he he, he kind of just seemed like he almost took a step back from the rest because he, he just knew he was going to be fighting a losing battle on this one. And that's part of playing away basketball in the ACC is you're you're going to you know, you're not probably going to be getting the same calls that you're going to get at home. And so that's just part of it. Um, but some of those calls were were a little rough. Uh, you, you talked about Boopy. I, I thought Boopy was exceptional. Earl Grant talked about him in the postgame press conference, how he kind of flipped the game on a switch a bit for Wake Forest coming from that first half to second half. Boopy just felt like everything that Boopy wanted, he got against Boston College. Some of the moves he was making, some of the shots he was taking. I mean, when he drives and has that fadeaway jumper, Ben, I, I've said it before, I think it's poetry in motion. I think it's just beautiful. I think I think Boopy is just a really, really good guard for Wake Forest and, and the kind of guard that they've had. Not exactly, but kind of that how, what they had a little bit in the Londis, a little bit more like Tyree Appleby. He kind of fits that role that Wake Forest has had for the past two and a half years now. And, and so I think his performance has just been huge, and I think he's come on really well. The big one for me, I was talking about adjustments earlier, is Cam, Cam Hildreth. I thought in, in the first half and in a little bit in the second half, it felt like we were getting the Cameron Hildreth of old in the sense that he, he, it just seemed like he was trying to do too much. I mean, so if he had at one, at one point five turnovers and, and not a whole lot to show otherwise on the offensive end. And then it almost seems like he, he took that breath and kind of calmed down and, and figured out his game. A lot of it was, he, he was hitting three pointers. We've talked about it, that, that cam in previous seasons hadn't really been a three point guy. And now he's just a huge threat from behind the arc. I mean, I don't think Wake Forest wins those, that game without what Cam was doing from behind the line. So his, his transformation in that game, I thought was so emblematic of his growth as a player. And so I, I think he, he to me, deserves player of the game. I thought I thought Cam was the player of the game for Wake Forest. I, I mean, so many guys deserved it. Boopy, Cam, Hunter Salas, Andrew Carr for making that last three Give it, give it to everybody. Give it to everybody on the court, um, including Kevin Dunn down at the end of the bench. I saw him getting excited, especially after Andrew Carr's three. He gets a player of the game nod, too. Um, I mean, everybody was great. And to your last point, Penn, which I really thought you were going to pull this one out. I thought I was going to have this one all to myself. But Parker Fredrickson 
again, I thought was huge. He had back-to-back threes for Wake Forest in a stretch that was getting them back into the game. I thought that was was just next level from from Parker as a as a freshman to to have that level of impact on on a game for the Deeks is, is huge and he he's just showing what a threat he is from behind the three point line. I'll talk about this a little bit later. I really like his matchup against Miami coming up on Saturday. I think this could be another one of those games where it's like, who the heck is this freshman? Like he is just that kind of player. Um, so so you know. Head nods for everybody on that that Wake Forest roster. I thought this was a really mature win. I think that Wake Forest teams of the past don't win this basketball game. And so I think it speaks to the maturity of this team. I think it speaks to the growth of this team and its individual players. A really good win. Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic college basketball game, just in general, I thought. And yeah. you know, I think it I think it really Steve Forbes talks all the time about how deep this team actually is. And I think you showed, you know, you had, even though you had a lot of the same guys putting up the points, I think it showed in, you know, Boopy Miller had to spend a lot of key moments on the bench in the second half. And you had guys like Parker Fredrickson come in and deliver quality minutes. You had guys like Zach Keller come in the game and deliver quality minutes on a night where Andrew Carr didn't have his best off best stuff offensively. Afton Reed played a fantastic game. You could argue it was, it was his best game as a Demon Deacon in his young Wake Forest career. I agree. Mature is a fantastic way to describe this victory because, you know, like you said, um, like Cam Hildreth, the Cam Hildreth of old, you know, in moments, you know, struggles, struggles with the ball security, tries to do too much. He was able to look himself in the mirror in the middle of that game and say, hang on, we got this thing under control. Let me come back from this. And, you know, I talked about it on Twitter. His three-point shooting, I think, has just been a such a fantastic addition to this team and one that cannot be overstated because it gives them another guy you have to watch out for on the perimeter when they already have so many. You know, you talked about Boopy Miller's performance. I think he could easily be a guy that puts up 20 to 25 points a night if he had to be for this offense. The beauty of this offense is that he does not have to be because you also we haven't even really talked about Hunter Salas in this game. Hunter Salas went 7 of 16 for 21 points three rebounds, three assists, and was fantastic from the free throw line as well. So this, this, you know, Wake Forest, I think we're going to get into this Miami matchup here shortly. I think Wake Forest mirrors Miami in a lot of ways in the way that they can spread you out and have, you know, a number of different guys attack you and, you know, sort of be that thorn in your side defensively. And I think that when things got tough, you saw exactly how deep and how complete this Wake Forest team can be. Yeah, I love your point about Boopy because I think he is a guy that on another basketball team really does give you a lot of points. But Hunter Salas, they talked about it last night during one of the halftime shows of the ACC games that that Hunter Salas is right now a midseason ACC potential player of the year. It could be, again, every year Wake Forest is in the conversation for a player of the year, and it's a transfer. And it's a guy that Steve Forbes, another diamond in the rough. And that's absolutely Hunter Salas. I have fallen in love with Hunter Salas's game. I think it is just, I, I've said it before, so I won't won't go into a whole spiel about it, but I think he's just, he, he's a very impressive basketball player. Moving ahead now, Ben, to what we have ahead, ahead in the future it is Miami on Saturday, just getting the game, you know, set up. It's, it's Wake Forest 10 and 3, 2 and 0 in the ACC. Miami 11 and 2, also 2 and 0 in the ACC on Saturday, 215 on the CW at the Joel. And I know, Ben, you're excited because I'm going to be up here in, in, back home in Baltimore, finishing out some of the, the holiday break with my family. That, so Ben is going to be stepping in with the BSD team, keeping our boots on the ground uh, in Winston, covering the game. And, and it's definitely a huge one for Wake Forest. Steve Forbes. Hasn't won against Miami since his opening season with the Demon Deacons back when they they beat Miami by 12. There were guys on that roster, Ben. I was going through it today when I was writing my Miami preview that I hadn't thought about their names in, in a little while. I, I've thought about Carter Witt a bit, but but Jonah Antonio, Odio Guama. There were a few others that I saw that I didn't write down in the preview, but like Emmanuel Ogpomo, some some names that just I hadn't thought of in a long time when it comes to the, the Wake Forest roster. Those guys were all playing 
when, when the last time that Wake Forest beat Miami. Uh, since then, all losses, none really blowouts. I mean, there was the four-point loss at home in 2022. Uh, that was the, the season that Wake Forest came out so close to the NCAA tournament. That one was a killer because it felt like Wake had that game. It really did, if you look back at it. And and Miami found a way way to come away with the, the win. And then last year, at the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament, Wake came this close to taking down Miami, lost by two. And gosh, it, it would have shaken things up in the ACC tournament if Wake had won that game. They they were, I think at that point, Wake was a, a team that had lost a lot of its identity, but then came into the ACC tournament, beat Syracuse on the buzzer beater, was competing with Miami last year, which was, a, they were a really, really good team last year. So it was just so weird. Um, but anyways, Wake hasn't beaten Miami in a long time. This is looking like an opportunity to finally get back into the the winning column against Miami. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, uh, a truly, you know, you know, as good as college basketball can get type of game, as good as ACC basketball can get type of game. Um, from watching film on this Miami team, you know, they're coming off a really big win against Clemson the other night, beat Clemson 95-82 at home. Clemson is a very, very good team this year. And from watching that game, it's not like Clemson even played a bad game. They put up 82 on, you know, in a road game on the ACC. That'll get the job done most of the time. But, you know, this Miami team is not most teams offensively. From watching them, I, some of the things I think that they do well, especially offensively, they move the ball very well on the perimeter. They spread the floor incredibly well. They have a ton of guys that can knock down a three. Um, they play very fast and very under control and very well. They take a lot of quick shots. They also make a lot of quick shots, which is why the Wake Forest in this game will not be able to afford giving up extra possessions. That's going to be, you know, their their work on the defensive glass in this game, I think is going to be very, very important. They beat Clemson 95-82. They scored 95 points without getting a single point from their bench. That is truly remarkable to me. They had all five starters in double figures. Three guys score over 20 points. I think they are a very difficult team to play from behind against because they score so much and so quickly that if you fall, this is kind of what happened to Clemson. Clemson had one spell of a couple minutes in the second half of this game where they went a little bit cold offensively. And before you knew it, Miami was up by eight or 10 and Clemson fought the rest of the game to make it close. But it's just so hard to make up ground against this Miami team that can just score points in the blink of an eye. And Wake Forest is a little bit like this too. They've shown the ability to do the same thing, which is why I think this game is going to be so much fun. So I, you know, I'm really excited to be there and watch this Jim Laranaga team in person. I think he's done a fantastic job with this group. I think Matthew Cleveland was just, you know, chef's kiss portal edition from Florida State. Um, you know, and Jim Laranaga, another guy in the ACC doing great work in the portal. Nigel Pack has been fantastic. We'll talk about Norchad Omir and how excellent he has been and just how what a challenge he's going to be for this Wake Forest defense and just for defenses throughout the season. But, you know, an early an early comparison of where these two teams rank offensively in the ACC, both pretty much top five in every offensive metric. Miami leads the ACC in offense, 85 and a half points a game wakes at number five with 81 and a half uh, margin of victory. Miami 14.8 at number two in the conference wake 12.8 at number five field goal percentage. Uh, Miami shoots 50.9% from the field to lead the conference, which is truly ridiculous this far into the season, two games in the conference schedule um, three point percentage. Miami, again, number one, 41.6%. Wake, just shy of 38% at number three. At a free throw percentage, this is fun. They're tied for first with the exact same free throw percentage down to the tenth of a percent. So these teams are very similar offensively, and it's going to make it a very fun game. I think that Wake can find some success in this game by trying to slow it down. It's going to be very hard to beat Miami at their own game of sprinting down the floor, taking early shots and possessions, you know, just sort of having all, you know, being able to score from Wake can do this too. They can score from anywhere on the floor, but Miami does it just about better than anyone, anyone in the country. So I think Wake is going to have to do some really good execution in the half court. They're going to have to avoid giving up extra possessions. They're going to have to take care of the ball. The big stat to watch for me is offensive rebounding for this, for this team. So Miami's fifth in the conference in offensive rebounding with, you know, 11 and a half rebounds per game. On the, on the offensive end. Wake cannot give up extra possessions to this team. Miami has a rebounding margin of 5.4. Wake's is right about even at 0.5. Uh, 
So Wake is going to have to make up that ground, dig their heels in on the glass the way they've done in some of their key victories this year, and really just lock in for what should be a breakneck-paced college basketball game. It absolutely should, Ben. And I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. And I, I can't wait to ask the question because it's one of my favorites. Ben, based on what you said earlier, is this another game where it would behoove Wake Forest to punch Miami in the mouth? You know, I, I certainly think it wouldn't hurt to come out and punch Miami in the mouth. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's one of our, that's one of our, uh, won't, won't call it a cliche, but it is one of our, you know, our tenets here at the Boots on the Ground podcast is you win if you punch teams in the mouth. Miami is a team that excels at punching other teams in the mouth. So this should be two heavyweights exchanging blows here. John Rothstein has his like Rothstein isms, yeah. like his kind of sayings. I feel like we're getting to the point and we'll probably get to that point a little bit later where we have some boots on the ground isms. And I think if I had one that I had on a, a t-shirt, it was, it, it would have to be punch a team in the mouth. Like, I think that's kind of my, like, that is my, my biggest plea to a lot of teams, whether it's, it's football. I was talking about it earlier with, with Wake Forest and the during the football season and certainly talking about it now with Steve Forbes' side in basketball. But I, I mean, I say that kind of seriously just about how impressive Miami's offense is and, and how quickly, as you said, they can get you and get you in a hole. I mean, I obviously in any game you want to come out and, and blow teams away like, like Wake Forest did against Virginia Tech, but based on what you said, Ben, and, and based on what we've seen, I think it is actually legitimate to say that it this is probably one where it may not necessarily mean getting out to a 14-4 lead, but but hanging tough with kind of that that early start for Miami or getting out to that early lead, you know, both would be really, really big for, for Wake. I mean, Miami is a great team. They, they've had the, that win over Clemson on Wednesday, which was big. They, they played three quad one games that – those two quad one losses are, are a little funky, but they're perfect in quad twos and then seven to no in quad four. So their non-con is, is a little bit like Wake Forest in that it's not very strong, but they've won the games that they need to win. They're a really good team. And we've talked about the offense. I, I think the metric side of it, you, you talked about in terms of the ACC, Ben, um, that their effective field goal percentage, according to Ken Palm, is number six in the entire nation talked about what a good shooting team they are like they are a really really good shooting team number six in three-point percentage number 22 in two-point percentage and number four in free throw percentage so all across the board and the entire country in the entire scheme of ncaa basketball miami's offense is really 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 good and i want to talk about this lineup because this lineup is really really interesting uh, just looking at how they play I think they play bigger than they actually are. And here's what I mean by that. So Miami, their their starting lineup is, is a four-guard starting lineup. You have Nigel Pack, who's a six-footer, Bensley Joseph, who's 6'2", Wuga Poplar, who didn't play against Clemson on Wednesday night because of an ankle injury. So that'll be something that we keep an eye on. I think he's going to be good to go for, for Wake, but just keep an eye on it. Poplar's 6'5". Matthew Cleveland is 6'7", so he's kind of that guard-forward mix, but they they have him listed as a guard, and I think he plays like a guard. And then you have Norchad O'Meara, who's a forward, but is also 6'7". So that starting lineup, Miami's tallest player is 6'7", in that starting lineup. And you talk about the rebounding that they're able to pull out is really, really good for their size. I think, you know, they, they play big on the offensive end. I think Norchad O'Meara plays really big in the post. I think Matthew Cleveland plays like the big guard that he is. So I think they have that size there. But the defense, I think, is where this game is really going to matter for Wake Forest because you take a look at these two really, really high-octane offenses. Miami's offense, we, we've, we've talked ad nauseum about how good Wake's offense is, so I won't get into it too, too much. But Nigel Pack, 8 of 13, 3 of 4 from 3 against Clemson for 25 points. Bensley Joseph is a good all-around guy, kind of that fourth guard. He's giving you 29 good minutes per game, though, and he's super good on the defensive end. 29 steals on the season. Wuga Poplar is legit, 16.2 points per game. He's hitting field goals at 52% uh, percent clip. He's also like hitting shots from behind the arc, too, at a 50% clip, so legit. 
and, and Matthew Cleveland, I think out of anybody on that team is like Hunter Salas with that full bag of tricks on offense. So the guards are really good on offense. Norchad O'Meara is really, really, really good. I think he's incredible. And, and I'd love to talk about those stats a little bit later, but the defense, their defense, Miami's is not very good. And I think a lot of that has to do with the size. And I think that is where Wake Forest can win this game because I think Wake Forest defense has improved a lot. And you have that size. You have Efton Reed, Zach Keller, Andrew Carr, all hovering either above, at, or just below that seven-foot height range. Miami cannot compete with that. So if Wake Forest is able to figure out its size and use it to its advantage on the offensive end and then defensively handle – Miami, like if you can body up Norchad O'Meara and, and deal with his his mobility as a six seven player, but put I mean I don't know who the heck is going to match up against them, but if Efton Reed's able to move with them, or if you have Andrew Carr, if you have Zach Keller, whomever it's going to be, if they can figure that out on the defensive end, then I like what Wake Forest has got going for it, and then and then handling that that Miami defense, which isn't really good. And I think the size advantage plays a role there too. So the, the big thing for me, Ben, is that size. I think that's really, really interesting for the in the complexion of this game. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I like this way I like how Wake Forest matches up against Miami for this reason. Wake made the move in the offseason to go get Hunter Salas, who's an elite perimeter defender. His skills will be at a premium this Saturday against the likes of Matthew Cleveland, Nigel Pack, all those guards out there who can beat you in so many different ways. But I, when I was doing some research on this Miami team, I took a look at – so their two losses are interesting to me because they've got walloped by two pretty good teams, to be fair. They got slapped around by Kentucky and beat pretty badly by Colorado. So in those two games, Kentucky and Colorado combined for 54 assists in those two games. So 26 and 28 assists in those games for an average of 27 a game. And both, te- both teams shot over 58% from the field and shot a very respectable clip from three as well. Conversely, Miami shot below either right at that 35% mark or below in both of those losses. So to me, that tells you a little bit about where this Miami team is vulnerable. I think if Wake Forest can successfully play their play their game in the half court, like you said, pass the ball around, get it into their players in the paint, I think they can shoot, they can play a very efficient offensive game against, I won't say this Miami team is undersized, because they're not. They're just sized differently than Wake Forest. They have a little bit more height at the guard spot and then give some give up some height inside. So it's going to be all about exploiting those, you know, those matchup differences inside and then limiting Miami's guards effectively or limiting those Miami guards ability to get out and run, to make those pull-up shots in the mid-range, to have open threes, to go on these massive scoring runs that have allowed them to just, you know, beat up on some pretty bad teams, beat a very good Clemson team and get off to a really strong start this season. So, you know, I think I think the pieces are out there because Wake is healthy and has added Efton Reed to the mix. For them to come in, you know, especially playing at home, you talked about this in your preview, how big the home court advantage could be in this game. The pieces are out there, I think, for Wake to win this game. I think the lower scoring a game that it is, I think it favors Wake Forest there, potentially. So, you know, these teams are similar in a lot of ways, it, you know, as usual in these games, it's going to be the areas where they differ, where are going to, that are going to decide this one. Wake has, you know, going to need Andrew Carr to have a better offensive game than he did against Boston college, going to need Efton Reed to be at his very, very best, going to need Zach Keller to come off the bench and give good minutes once again. And then you're going to have to have your guards make shots too. That's just what it's going to take to beat a Miami team of this caliber that is so well coached can spread you out in so many different ways, can stretch the floor, can play fast. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take everybody doing their job, and, you know, getting some real production out of every position group out there. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. 
Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Making your cat happy is a number one priority. Priority number two is keeping a clean litter box. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter helps you do both. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter traps waste at the surface with less crumbles and absorbs more waste and odor compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Litter at a store near you today. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I liked your point earlier, Ben, about slowing the game down. And I have this in my keys to the game, and I think more than ever we're going to have a pretty in-depth keys to the game section so i don't want to you know tease it too much or, or kill i don't know like the the surprise of it or whatever but um slowing the game down i think is really really going to be a factor for for wake forest just because the amount of possessions or, or the, the amount of points that that miami can score limiting those possessions will be big just because you, you want to limit the, those points and as you said i think wake forest plays a little bit better in, in, in a slower environment. So I think that's going to be really, really big. And, and again, that wake has got to just take advantage of the possessions that they do have. I think that defense, there's a, there's a lot that's I think open for wake force against that Miami defense. So we talked about some of the, the bigger games that Miami's played. So against quad one and quad two opponents, Miami is giving up 81.6 points per game. So that, that means just they, when they're playing good teams, better teams than the quad fours that they played, they played seven quad fours. When they're playing good opponents and, and by proxy, probably playing better offenses, they're giving up a lot of points. So I think, it, as you said, I think this is truly there for Wake Forest. Their offense is really, really good. Wake's high-octane offense can, when they're humming, get a lot done. And Miami's defense is exposed. I think they have the ability to give up a lot of points to Wake Forest. So I think it, it really is to me, as much as this is a game about high octane offenses, I think it's about how those defenses handle the high octane offenses. It's about how Wake Forest finds ways to stop a, a, a four guard grouping that's really strong and one of the best shooting forwards in the country. Norchad O'Meara has a true shooting percentage of 70.5% per Kempom. It's 12th in the nation. He's averaging 17.6 points per game. He is, I feel like we're saying it every game, but he's one of the best players on offense that Wake Forest is going to see all season. And, and so it's just as much, I think, how Wake Forest stops that Miami offense and, and how Miami is either able to play up and stop Wake Forest offense or if those cracks in, in Miami's facade are figured out and handled correctly by the Wake Forest offense. So it, man, it's the offenses I think are just crazy, but for me, it really is the defenses. And with that, just to, to move things along, Ben, I mean, let's get into the keys to the game. I, I've got, I mean, from my preview, I've got four that we've kind of touched on a little bit that I'll, I'll talk about, but I'll give you first, uh, first chance at this keys to the game and see if we, we share the same brain on some of these. Yeah. So my, you know, it's kind of a basketball cliche here, but I do think it really holds, you know, holds true in this, in this game is my first key for wake force is going to be play your brand of basketball. You know, don't, I, I don't, I, I don't think it bodes well for wake forest if this game turns into a complete track meet. And even if Wake Forest is playing well on defense, if they're porous on defense, it's just going to be really hard to purely outscore this Miami team. You know, they put up they've put up 90 points on a bunch of different occasions this year, including against a very good Clemson team just the other night. So play your brand of basketball. You know, obviously get your guards and your playmakers involved. Let Boopy Miller and Hunter Salas and Cam Hildreth do their thing. But also this team is so much better when Efton Reed is a force inside and when you're actively looking to feed him, sending him to the free throw line 
you know, making Miami play defense for as long as possible. Cause that I think is one of the, you know, they have quick guards and can play physical basketball, but I think the longer that you make them defend and, you know, sit down and play defense against your guards who are no slouch either, the better this is going to be for Wake Forest. So play your brand of basketball. Don't shy away from a team that can speed you up. And, you know, Steve Forbes talks about playing under control all the time. So don't get sped up by this Miami team. Don't give away these possessions. Rebound the basketball. Do the things that have led you to victory in so many key games recently. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying on two points that I'm now thinking about, just in addition to what I have to say afterwards. One is something that Wake has been really good at, which is when you get to the line, shoot the ball well, like continue to do that. Wake has been a really, really good free throw shooting team, and every point will matter in a game like this. So continuing that that prolific shooting from the charity stripe is going to be pretty important. And then something that I think Wake has not been as good at is when they get into foul trouble. Like I think foul trouble is potentially a very impactful part of this game. Efton Reed has had some trouble with fouls. It wasn't a big problem because Wake Forest was running the score up on Virginia Tech. And so it wasn't a huge issue for Efton, but it can be against a team like Miami. And other players have gotten into foul trouble. We talked earlier about how much of an issue it was that Boopy got into foul trouble against Boston College. That fouls can really hurt a team, and it has hurt Wake Forest. It could hurt a lot more against a team like Miami. And so sticking out of foul trouble, not not committing some of those unnecessary fouls, I think is going to be going to be really big. And I've got I've got a litany of these because this this game is is uh this is going to be something ben so please do cut in with with some of your thoughts if you do deem fit um the first of my keys to the game is defend the three-point line i've said it before in regards to other games i'm saying it again now miami shoots about 22 threes per game and as we've talked about because of how good this offense is when they shoot them they go in as a team they're shooting 41 and a half percent from behind the three-point line there are other guys who can shoot it even better. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I noticed when I was watching film on Miami is they make room for their three-point shots out of absolute, absolute nothing. Like they're, It's almost like when, I, when you watch Damari Monsanto shoot a three-pointer where one dribble, a, a shifting of his feet, and suddenly he has enough room to get a three-pointer off. Three -pointer off. Miami is not as good as Damari. Don't get me wrong, but they have that kind of ability. And so Wake really needs to be committed to defending the three-point line because that—that that is the, the three-pointers can really kill you. And, and Miami's also really good at driving to the hoop and kicking the ball out for three-pointers. So I think the three-point line for both teams is going to be a focal point because Wake Forest, sometimes to their detriment, has shown that they like to shoot threes a lot. And when they go in, it's great. And when they don't, it becomes an issue. But Wake likes to shoot threes. Miami can really shoot threes well. So I think that's going to be an impactful part of this game. The second one, before I'll let you jump in, Ben, with your thoughts, is get back, D up. So you talked about, and I give you a lot of credit for this, you know, again, sharing the same brain, Miami is a fast team. The metrics say so. But even more from what I was watching in terms of film, Miami can move even faster than the numbers say they do. Like when they get out on transition, the ball really doesn't hit the court. They are a little bit like what Wake Forest does, and they did it a few times against Boston College. It's almost like they're chucking the football around the court. Like they, they are getting up and out fast. And what they're able to do off those transitions, Ben, is sometimes they're getting the ball to the hoop, but they're actually a lot of the times creating space for jumpers off the transition where the defense isn't getting back quick enough and it opens really high percentage jump shots that they're able to get go, they're able to get to go in the hoop because they are a really good shooting team. And so getting back on defense and marking men, especially again, around the three-point line, I think is something that Wake Forest is going to have to really consider. And then the last part of that, that key is Wake in the past few games, and Steve Forbes has kind of brought this out of his, his bag of tricks, is the, the full court press. Wake Forest has gone to it a few times, it feels like, in almost every game. 
and it's worked a lot of the time. I think even if you don't get the turnover, it's it's putting pressure on the opposing offense, and it's a lot, it's forcing them to move up the court slower. And so you talk about slowing down the game for Miami. I think bringing out the full court press will do that in two ways. It'll slow down their transition, and it'll also slow down their offense. And so I think that's a, a, a kind of a two-pronged double kill two birds with one stone, if you will, if you break out the full court press. And so I think Steve Forbes doing it sometimes has been really good. I think he should be doing it even more against Miami. Yeah, you made a couple of really, really good points there. And I'm glad you brought up defending three-point line because I, I mentioned it briefly earlier. I'll re-highlight it here. In Miami's two losses this season, they shot 35% or below from the three-point line. So, you know, the way that this Miami offense works from what I've watched is that a lot of their offensive success is based upon how much you have to respect their ability to shoot the three. So you have, you know, essentially all five, all five of their starters are a threat to make a three. Even Norchad Omir, he shoots it at just under 35% from three. It doesn't take a ton of them, but is still, you know, enough of a threat to make one that you have to respect him from out there. But when Wake Forest, you know, if you can get your perimeter defenders to lock up, chase these guys off the three-point line, that makes results in longer possessions for Miami, allows Wake to get more settled into their half-court defensive scheme. Miami's guards are also very, very good in the mid-range. So, you know, you have to help defense is going to be a big key. I think that's important as well. But, you know, the more that you can chase this Miami team off the three-point line, the better off you will be. Or the more you can force them into shots late in the shot clock, deep behind the line, the better off you will be. And then about the full court press, I, you know, I like that. I like that tactic as well. I think that's very important, you know, could be a very important part of this game as long as it is a disciplined full court press, as long as you are not giving away the store, trying to jump passes because of how quick these Miami guards are and how fast this team can move down the court. So yes, do the full court press, let your athletic guards, let Hunter Salas get up in, you know, these guards grills, but also, you know, keep those defensive anchors back and be able to get back and play your game in the half court defense as well. So two very like, good points there. I like that point about discipline. I think Wake Forest kind of has to play within that 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 scheme of what they've proven to be for a while now, which is a mature basketball team, as I've said earlier. That discipline and maturity with with what they're doing, both on the defensive and offensive ends, I think is going to be really key. Something I talked about earlier, and and the the wording I used for it on our preview at Blogger So Dear, is find the cracks in Miami's defense. So I talked about the against Quad One and Quad Two appoint, opponents, Miami giving up eighty one point six points per game. That's a lot. Like there are cracks in the Miami defense if you can expose them. And, and so one of the ones that I noticed specifically uh, through watching film was around the three point line, a well placed pick really hurts the Miami defense. Like a well-placed pick opens up a good shot opportunity more often than against other teams. Like that that pick does a lot. And so I think that benefits Wake Forest a lot because they have a, a very heavy motion offense that you can see sometimes at the top of the key where you have these guards just circling back over on top of each other almost all the time in a, in a few sets for Wake Forest. I've seen it a lot. And so I think if you get that Miami defense moving and if you're setting picks at the top of the key, that's going to open up some shots from behind the three-point line, which Wake loves to take those shots. And then it also opens up potentially some movement down low in the post if you can then get the, the defense kind of discombobulated and kick the ball into the post to Efton Reed and get him sizing up Norchad O'Meara, who's several inches smaller than him, then then maybe there's something to be said for, for making that, that kind of that movement at the top of the key for the, for the demon Deacons offense. Kind of to that point, I talked about it earlier, the size advantage. I think it's going to be huge for, for wake force offense. Miami, as I said, plays bigger than they are, but at the end of the day, you can't deny the fact that when your largest starter is six, seven and wake force has Efton Reed, who's a true seven footer, has Zach Keller, who's also rep roughly that height, and you have Andrew Carr as your four, who's also nearing seven feet tall. I think he's at 6'10", 6'11". That's going to be hard for the Miami defense to handle when they are so grossly outsized. And, and so if Wake Forest can get the ball into Efton, I think it's a big game for Efton. I think it's a big potential game for Andrew Carr. 
a big game potentially for Zach Keller if he can get the ball to go into the net at a little bit more of a consistent rate. Also, the last thing before I move into my my final key, now that I recall, because I knew I wanted to talk about this, the three-point line. This is where Parker Fredrickson comes into the equation. If these, if, if those picks and Wake's movement create some openings around the three-point line, why not give the ball to the player who has proven that he can hit three-pointers in his sleep? Parker Fredrickson is, is an unbelievable sharpshooter from behind the three-point line. Get the ball in his hands. I think it's an opportunity for another big game for him if those three-point opportunities become a, a part of the Wake Forest offense with those picks and that motion. Final key, and I talked about it a little bit, get Andrew Carr involved. For 39 and a half minutes, it was not Andrew's night against Boston College on Tuesday. He was 0 for 3 from the field, pretty much looked uncomfortable throughout on offense, and that all changed with a game ceiling, potentially game-saving three-pointer with 12 seconds remaining. I talked about the size advantage. Getting Andrew involved, I think Andrew has improved drastically with his size and how he uses it and that confidence on the offensive end. He is going to have a matchup against the Miami defense that that Wake will probably like. And so if they can utilize his size and his growing aggressiveness to get inside, also that ability to go on the outside with his three-point shooting and, and his his deeper two-point shots, I think this is another opportunity for Andrew Carr to get back into the swing of things, the same way Wake Forest got Efton Reed back into the swing of things. And I think, again, that'll be a big game for Efton. So those are kind of my keys, you know, getting Andrew involved, against that Miami defense that I think is susceptible to, to some problems. And so Wake Forest finding those cracks, getting back on defense for, for Wake Forest and, and using the, the full court press, and then also on the Wake Forest defensive side, handling the three-point line with extra care against Miami. Those are my four keys, and I think if Wake can handle those four, then I really like the potential for them to win and get a massive, massive win against Miami at home in the Joel on Saturday. Yeah, I great points there all around. I think Andrew Carr, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's going to need to be all hands on deck for this game against Miami. Andrew Carr has been one of your most important offensive contributors all year long. I think you're you're going to need more from him than what you got against Boston College. He, that, you know, that shot was unbelievably clutch at the end of the game, but you were right for 39 and a half minutes was just not his night. You know, it was one of those nights where he didn't call his name often, wasn't making a lot of plays and necessarily showed up on the stat sheet. I don't think he played a terrible game or anything like that, but kind of segues actually into the last point that I wanted to make, which I think that to win this game, Wake Forest is going to just have to simply make shots. I don't really think there's any way around it. This is a Miami team that can score 150,000 different ways on you. You know, I'm not saying that Wake has to come out and score 90 points to win this game or shoot 70% from the field or make 23s. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I do think that they cannot come out there and lay an egg. They have to have their guys who have been making threes all year long continue to produce at the same or a higher level even. So, you know, there's a lot. A game like this demands a lot from everybody on the roster. Everybody is going to have to come in. I'm going to need those couple threes off the bench from Parker Fredrickson. I'm going to need those 10 to 15 points from Andrew Carr. I'm going to need those seven to eight rebounds from Andrew Carr. And I'm going to need this whole team to make free throws at the same rate that they have been continuing to do. Because I think there is a good opportunity for Wake to use that size advantage on the inside to, you know, force Miami to foul your big men around the hoop when you have a mismatch like that. You know, get your guys to the line early keep doing the things that you do so well and then sort of exploit those differences like we talked about. Well, we talked about our keys. I count that. I mean, it's, it's like in, in earnest six, six kind of headlines, but heck, I think we probably had about 10 keys to the game there. So just showing how important this game is for Wake Forest against Miami on Saturday. With that, Ben, let's get into our final segment predictions, Wake Forest, Miami, Saturday at the Joel. I'll let you get started. Yeah, so I think what was Ken? What did Ken Palm have this game at? Eighty-two, seventy-eight, something like that. I think was the Ken Palm prediction. Yeah, it was. It was Wake Forest winning eighty-two, seventy-eight. Uh, so let me just quickly, because I'm on Ken Palm now. It's a sixty-four percent win chance for Wake Forest against Miami, which nothing against the Deeks, but it seems a little bit high in my book. Seems, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I like I like say fifty fifty. Um, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's not what I put it at. Yeah, but so yeah, eighty two seventy eight Wake Forest. We'll see if that changes at all. But sixty four percent win chance for the Deeks. Yeah, I do think I do like Wake Forest to win this game. Before I get into an exact prediction, I like I like the Deeks to get the the job done here. Um, I think that, like I said. I think that if they can slow the game down and get Andrew Carr back in the swing of things and do all of these other things that we've talked about on this podcast, the pieces are out there for them to win this game. Again, I will say that I don't think it super benefits them to let this turn into an absolute track meet. I think that Wake if can score, you know, a high amount of points, score efficiently, but also keep Miami's breakneck pace under control, the better chance Wake Forest will have to win this game. I do think it's going to be you know, a mid, a mid eighties, high seventies basketball game. So, you know, I like, man, it's tough, but I think, I think holding Miami below that 80 point mark will be really, really huge for Wake Forest. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Wake Forest by, I was debating, you know, somewhere between that five to seven point range. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to take Wake Forest by six and go 81, 75 Wake Forest. Well, Benjamin, usually you are the the one who is a little more encouraged by Wake Forest than I am. Sometimes I, I can be a little bit of a pessimist. Um, so I have I have this game being a touch bit closer. And so here's how I look at it. I said I see this one being a, a 50-50 game. I, that is not hyperbole. Like, I truly believe that this game is the toss-up of all toss-ups. Like, neck and neck. Wake Forest has passed its most recent test on a close game in, in Chestnut Hill. But I really do think this is going to be another one. And so with it being a toss-up in my mind, I'm going to go to a difference maker that is not what is happening on the court. And that is the location of this game, Deke Town. If this game were played in Miami, I honestly would, would probably be predicting that, that the Hurricanes are going to win this game. But I think in a tight game, with a tough environment, the students are not going to be at the Joel. Probably, I mean, not really a student section just because it's the holiday break. But there were 10,000 people at the Wake Forest, Wake Forest Virginia Tech game, and they were reasonably loud. Like, they impacted Wake Forest. And I think just the way I've been seeing things in the, the Demon Deacons community, they are getting up for this game. Like, they are getting psyched. And so I think this is going to be a tough environment for Miami to play in. And so I think that deep town environment is going to push Wake Forest over the edge on this one, push them over the finish line because of those Wake Forest fans and the growing number of fans that the Joel has seen recently and all the hype that is building around this Demon Deacons team and how this town is rallying around Wake Forest. I'm taking the Deeks, 78-75. With that, Ben and I both taking Wake Forest to beat Miami, Ben by a little bit more than me. I think that that slow pace of the game has impacted our scores a little bit, Ben, but both of us taking the Deeks over the Hurricanes on January 6th. With that, we will have all the coverage of the game afterwards. We will talk about it on the Boots on the Ground pod. We will also get everyone ready for Florida State coming up in Tallahassee. But for now, we say goodbye on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer. Thanks for joining. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.